We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Bucks won a f***ing NBA championship. Yeah! What? What? He tries to take a pulse, babe. Watching that basketball game, like, caused health problems for me. Boogie hates racism and Chris Paul. And who cannot get on board with that platform? If I've learned a lot, this, I, I'm not going to say it. That sounds too good. That was good. Roll on. No, 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 no. If the Bucks do win it all, Pat Connaughton's numbers should be in the rafters. Hey, Eurostep listeners, this is Ty Windish here, just doing a quick intro for what is coming, which is my conversation with the excellent Carter Rodriguez of the Chase Down podcast, a outstanding Cleveland Cavaliers pod that you can, should, will check out wherever you listen to or watch this podcast, the Eurostep slash winning six. We recorded after the Cavs absolutely drubbed the Bucks, so didn't talk entirely about that game for obvious reasons, but did some big picture stuff, shared my thoughts, and, and heard Carter's on the Indiana Pacers acquiring Pascal Siakam, so thought even though, you know, <laughs> the game stunk from the Bucks' perspective, there would still be some interest in hearing this, so without further ado, here is my convo with Carter on the chase down again. Please go check out, subscribe, rate, review the Chase Down Podcast. It is a truly great show providing truly great Cavs coverage. Okay, here we go. Crowd rises to its feet. But Carl slams it home. Darwin left wing. Three ball. Perfect. Darwin in front of the lane. Locked up. Only pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow with the left hand and a foul. Hello and welcome to the Chase Down Podcast. The Cavaliers have won their sixth consecutive game with a 40-point drubbing of the Milwaukee Bucks. The Chase Down Podcast is presented by Fubo, the official streaming partner of the Cavs. Watch over 350 channels of live sports and TV, including Valley Sports Ohio, without cable. There is no cost. There is no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com slash Cavs. As I mentioned, the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, are on a roll, and boy, was this a fun one on national TV, uh, continuing to be down at Darius Garland, continuing to be down Evan Mobley. The team is now 11-3 and three since both those guys felt went out of the lineup, and uh, joining me, I'm so sorry, buddy. I thought we'd have a competitive one to talk about, is the Eurosteps Ty Windish. How you doing, Ty? I've been better. Uh, I also thought we'd have a competitive one to talk about. Didn't realize Giannis wouldn't play until as soon before the game, like everyone else did know that he had some shoulder discomfort. You know, you were talking about Fubo on the way in and all the channels, but right now after that game, 
I'm more interested in the non-sports channels. I don't know if you know it <laughs> off top, but would love to tune into Fubo right now and maybe see not sports, not anything else really, nature shows. I don't know. Uh, probably not the news, but I think there's a lot of other things I'd like to watch. But excited to join you, as always, Carter, and talk about the Bucks and the Cavs, even though the Bucks did not give us a very exciting game to record right after at all. Of course. And, you know, if, if you're looking for any sort of television of any of any kind, Fubo TV is the place right. to, place to go. Uh, if you are a uh, avid watcher of the Chase Down pod, you might notice uh, Justin Rowan not here. Uh, he is absconded from frozen Winnipeg, leaving us in frozen Ohio to go to Mexico uh, for like a week and a half. So uh, you'll you'll see me uh, for better or worse. Uh, I will be hosting and having a, a, a series of guests. Maybe no one will match you, Ty, but hopefully hopefully we can get up there. Um, I mean, uh, even I, I don't believe that. And even if that were true, you, I mean, the basketball should be so much better that the podcast experience for your listeners might be even better. I mean, I, 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 wanted, I was wanting to get mad about, like, calls, like, two minutes into this game. And I was like, I don't know. I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. They could have the worst whistle of all time. They didn't come to play at a certain point, the Bucks. So... But I'll, I'll try and bring some energy anyway, and, and thankfully, you know, there's other things besides just this game to talk about. And you know, George Niang career high. Shout out to minivans everywhere. Um, I, is that is that where you'd start from this game? What stood out to you the most from, <laughs> I mean, from the Cavs' perspective? You know what I want to say. I want to say that George Niang has a degree of selflessness that I find so admirable. Because let me tell you something, Ty. If I start a game, and I'm George Niang, and I start a game 10 of 10 from the field and have set a new career high, you could not pay me double. You could not double my salary to take another shot and potentially miss and have an, and, and ruin a perfect game. Uh, That's true. He, did, he, he was probably destined for one of those ESPN Sports and Info tweets if he didn't shoot again. 13 Absolute. for 14 and 33. 33, though, that's the other side of it. I mean, when you're George Yang and you see I can get a 30 ball tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks with Damian Lillard on the floor. I mean, like when, when he's retelling this someday, you know, you don't mention who wasn't in the game. You mention, hey, we went up against Dame and the Bucks, smoked them. I had 33. I led the game in scoring. Just, you know, Donovan Mitchell, I carried him as always. Nothing new. But yeah, it was. And, uh, and if anyone's going to do that, it's George Niang. I mean, honestly, I will say this like, you know, all jokes aside, George has had a pretty rough year, you know, shooting the basketball. Yeah. You know, he's, he's shooting a career worse from three. You know, uh, he's talked about having to kind of find his way uh, on a new team and a new, new system, you know, um, a very different experience than what he was doing uh, in Philly, uh, you know, camping in the corner off Joel and beat post ups. Uh, so it is cool to see him get this, you know, to set a career high is obviously super fun, super cool. I mean, talk about a fun guy to get it. I mean, on a series of post up floaters uh, and, and bombing away from three. <laughs> I mean, I think five of six from three is nice. Uh, you know, the fact that that he went uh, he went eight, eight of eight, eight from two. <laughs> Well, there was a, I think he set the tone really for the whole game. And I, th I think it was early second quarter and it was kind of the run that broke the Bucks' spirit. So the Bucks started out went down, what, 20 or 22 to two. And, you know, it was just one of those like, okay, the, sh the shooting probably levels out. You know, this is probably a more competitive game than this. And it kind of was toward the end of the first quarter. Early second quarter, I think it was, Niang is driving up the court 
And I think he split Conden and Middleton, oh, yes. and they were like, they were like gonna switch, but they didn't do it in time. And he just drove to the rim, and I think they both kind of looked at each other like, George oh. Nane can do that, and it was oh. like, and that I think it really set the tone and was like an indicator of you know where Milwaukee's execution and effort was defensively. Of course, defense has been a big talking point for the Bucks in the opposite way that it had been for the previous five years under Mike Budenholzer, and you know, crucially. Like with Eric Bledsoe, with Drew Holiday, and all these other guys. The I was not expecting Eric Bledsoe this early into the pod. Kudos. Well, listen, you know, he was an all defensive level perimeter defender, which the Bucks are dying to add one of those right now. And I think, you know, the funny thing is there is like talk, like, should they play like they did under Bud? Would Bud have let this happen versus new coach Adrian Griffin? They drop, dude. Like, this is, it's slightly different. I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but they run and drop. They're just not good at it because they can't fight over screens at all. And I think, especially teams that are athletic, and the Cavs ran a ton in this game, and credit to them because they didn't, they didn't let the Bucks get back into it. Like, they were better. The Bucks didn't have it, but the Cavs kept the foot on the gas the whole night. They were running in semi transition every time they could. Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, they're old. They couldn't get back. And, and the Cavs clearly, you know, identified that and took advantage. But um, Milwaukee's point of attack defense is just leaves a lot to be desired. And I think the athletic big man plus the dangerous guard on the perimeter is a bad recipe for the Bucks. And Jared Allen played great. Again, of course, Donovan Mitchell does what he does against almost every team. You know, he had 31 too. I, I would have thought he played, and he, only, he only played 26 minutes. He had 31 points. So um, that combo was great. And then yeah, the mean, Bucks when, just when, when the ball the, awesome. When you're the Cavs and you have an aggressive guard in the perimeter like George Niang and you have Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> it, a, that's a big two out there. That's a, that's a big two. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, uh, I, I think the top of the rundown uh, here says a deep dive into the X's and O's, which we're not going to do. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, the, this was, you know, one of those classic, like, I, I do not think the Bucks are going to watch a ton of tape from this one. I think this was a classic, like, light that on fire. We didn't have it physically. We weren't there. We weren't there mentally. And the Cavs sure were. Uh, obviously, the Cavs. Uh, you know the Bucks are going to get a chance to 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 answer the bell because they're going to play twice more in Milwaukee uh, next week on the 24th and the 26th. So that'll be really really fun. But did want to talk just about a few a, a few interesting uh, tidbits. And I think uh, getting past the knee hang ridiculous explosion, uh, our boy Jared Allen is having a lot more fun against Brook Lopez than he did last season. Yeah, he is. You know, I think Brook. Uh, is another year older and I think Allen looks better than ever so I just like that to start I mean obviously the way their ages are you know Allen being a little better every year at this point in that matchup does make some inherent sense but I think Brooke has been you know pushed out of his comfort zone defensively which is the rim you're right and he was rarely not around the rim and even though they're back to dropping again with him at the five whenever they can He's got so much more ground to cover because you see Damian Lillard, who's actually the better of the Bucks two perimeter defenders, which kind of tells you all you need to know, and Malik Beasley not getting through screens. And then there's just like, okay, it's Brooke and Donovan, or it's, uh, excuse me, Jared Allen and Donovan Mitchell rolling, right? And that's that's a lot to cover when it's you have 10 feet, 12 feet of that versus, oh, okay, the guard is still pretty much, you know, he's got to take a tough shot. I'll stick with the center and I'll rebound, which is the point of drop, right? Is you, you force the guard into a contested runner, you box out the center, you live with that shot. And normally you can, the Bucks just haven't defended well enough to be able to. But even in like post-ups, 
I mean, Allen is kind of Torchbrook, and I don't know that isn't explained as much by scheme. I think there could be a little bit of just maybe exhaustion or just frustration. We did see some frustration from Brook in this game, but I think Allen has really like the craftiness of his finishing and his post work. Like he's not the most physical big man. Obviously, that that's been you know kind of an issue for him at points over his career. But his guile seems like off the charts right now. I mean, he's spinning around. He's moving faster than Brooke can react. It's been very impressive. And like, like it's an old school post footwork thing, but it's not like the brute physicality you think of. It's like he's just very crafty. He almost operates like a guard down there sometimes. And it's it's been a problem for Brooke. And it's been a big thing in the series too. or Not playoff series, but in this matchup between these two teams. Allen's had two amazing games. And that's something the Bucks have to be concerned with going forward yeah i mean like i remember last year when brooke bombed the Cavs out of the building maybe that was two years ago and i think it was last year when brooke hit like eight threes um and ben thompson you know uh noted bucks fan kind of mentioned uh about the matchup that when the Cavs are playing mobley and allen they expect to have a better front court than every other team in the league and the bucks it's the inverse you know the bucks have the you know had the advantage at least last year at center and power forward obviously with Giannis um who did not play tonight it's got to be again worth worth bringing up but uh, the, the fact I, that I'm sure your Cavs fans listening to like cry us a river yeah so of course you know for a month yeah, yeah like, we I, haven't we had Evan care. for a month we haven't had oh, Darius for a month um, all you have is Dave and Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez poor you so yeah I'm not even gonna yeah I'm not yeah. gonna bring up the honest was out anymore I appreciate it's it's true of course but you, you play with who you got active yeah absolutely and uh but I will say like Alan to your point I do think the craft as a score on those rim attacks because they're, they're kind of the face up drives or, you know, he's, he's kind of just like doing the his hands just kind of coming out at weird angles to finish. Um, and, you know, when you're six out six eleven and doing that, like you like if your hand in the ball get to the backboard first, you're probably going to make the bucket. You know, Brooke got him once on one of those rim attacks where he spiked it off the backboard and, you know, yeah. and, and certainly got got his. But. Allen more than held his own. And I don't know if this this might be one of those hyperbolic statements, but I do wonder if what we've seen from Jarrett against guys like Embiid this year, guys like Jokic this year, and guys like Brooke this year is like, oh, yeah, the Cavs got run off the floor last postseason by a team playing drop, and they couldn't yeah. score against it. Got to beat it. Got to find a way to beat it, it. Jarrett Allen looks like a guy who spent a lot of time thinking about what to do when he catches the ball in the short roll. Yeah. With, with a big man two three steps uh deep into the paint i mean the floaters he's taking them super confidently he took probably four or five mid-rangers tonight uh he did so in in the in his career high or maybe it was his career high game he had 30 points uh it felt in, like it in, in the first matchup where he went 15 of 17 from the field i mean yeah. uh it, it just feels like a really really good matchup and again that that does change things and you do wonder like to your point, to to your point about the Bucks' point of attack defense, is this is is this development from Jarrett, or is it the Bucks' shell not being quite as strong as it was, and you know Brooke being less able to commit? I would probably say it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but like as of now, Jarrett has roundly outplayed yeah. Brooke Lopez in the first two games uh, of the season series, and if you're a Cavs fan, you got to be really really happy with that. Yeah, and I'm glad you pointed out kind of the floater and the touch from mid-range. I think that's really important to his success against Brooke as well because, you know, you can be as crafty as you want. Like if 
if your cover can wait at the rim for you, it's still going to be really hard to score over you or over him. And, you know, Brooke, when he's given Allen really any space, he's not even always wide open, a couple feet, right? And Brooke's a large guy. Like, you still kind of feel the impact of the contest. But Allen really hasn't. I mean, his floaters, his mid-rangers have looked really, really good. It reminds me of... Like there was, I think, two years ago, and I don't know if he's just kind of fallen off or if he's missed some games, but like Nick Claxton on the Nets, there was a game against the Bucks. I think it was still when KD was on the team. He was just hitting all these like runners and, and like little hooks when they gave him some space. And I was like, that's a really nice adjustment for a guy who used to pretty much only finish at the rim. I felt the same about Allen this year. Like that's what you have to do to be able to be on the floor and improve and, and then gain an advantage over the really good teams who will try and seal off the rim. Because, of course, you know, the rim is so crucial. It's a lot of teams, if they don't drop, they're going to focus to take away the rim. Allen adding that that element to his game means, okay, Brooke has to come up two more steps. Now there is room behind him for a quicker player. It, it puts Lopez in a really tough position. So, yeah, I think certainly the Bucks' defense and Brooks' defense being a little worse matters. But I think Allen's game looks a lot better, too. And, and don't just want to, you know, just want to uh, overlook that as we uh, – uh, break down a pretty bad defensive effort from Milwaukee here. Yeah, a couple a couple more things about this game before we go a little wider angle because obviously we really shouldn't spend too much more time on this game. It was it was a pretty brutal game where you don't want to take too much, but I do want to just quickly commend uh, Dean Wade and Isaac Okoro for the jobs they did on on Dame uh, or on uh, Chris Middleton and Dame respectively. I mean, this is one of those things that's interesting because as the team gets healthy. There's going to be a lot less minutes for for guys like Okoro and Wade uh, to get active run. I felt like this game was kind of a almost like a bit of their audition for like, hey, you're still going to need us against really, really good teams because they they took over the game in part because those guys could not get clean looks in the first quarter. Yeah, it was, you know, Dame clearly felt a way about his whistle, which really he has all, all season, um, I think he is still adjusting to what it's like to play for Milwaukee to a certain extent, but um, he also just didn't have a shot early and he fought through it. I mean, Dame ends with at least 17 points and five assists in 25 minutes. So he's kind of productive, not clearly what you need with Giannis out against a good Eastern conference team in the Cavs, but got through it to an extent. Chris won for 10 and a turnstile defensively two assists to three turnovers. I mean, it's, it might be his worst game as a buck since he's become like a wow. real player. I mean, obviously he came in and came to Milwaukee as I think 2K had him and Giannis as like the worst two players in the league. So <laughs> after he became like a real respectable player. After he NBA became player, Chris Middleton guy we yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was just awful. I mean, he, he couldn't get any separation from Wade. And, and typically typically that doesn't matter. That was kind of the weird thing about this. Typically he doesn't get that open because, yeah, we, we all know he's Chris Middleton and he uh, tore his hamstring several years ago and has knee issues and just isn't that quick. But his whole game is like, yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm covered. I can just make the shot. And he just didn't. Like, he couldn't get any space. The drives, he really got suffocated on drives. I think the jumpers. Yeah, Wade ripped him just, at least a couple times or or knocked yeah. the ball loose a couple times. It, it was, or just, like, stopped him in his tracks. I mean, once Brooke was kind of in the way and Chris was, like, yelling at Brooke about it, and I think – it was probably more the overall situation maybe than that specific play happening. Just a lot of frustration on the Bucks end because really nothing was working on either end. Um, but I think with Giannis out, those two guys being defended so well. I, I, and like credit, you know, you have to defend physically until the officials make you not. I think that's just how – that's how every sport works, but certainly basketball. And the Cavs found a really good line, and the Bucks couldn't beat it 
they were just trying to get calls and it just didn't work. And that's the issue with doing that is you just look horrendous if you're going. And I don't know if they were entirely grifting. I mean, Dame went to that same fallaway shot that he feels like he gets fouled. <laughs> he puts the shot up, though. You know, they weren't just flicking yeah, it up and course. falling over. But uh, they, they just couldn't get loose. They couldn't spring anything. And then when you start off cold from three and you can't get to the rim, it's just really hard to shake that. And the Bucks have not forced enough turnovers. They haven't gotten to run enough. So they were just kind of stuck in the mud. And you have to credit Okoro and Wade for that to a huge degree. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it just was a game that was not crazy tightly called. Cavs had nine personal fouls called against them, uh, <laughs> which, like, you don't see single-digit foul games uh, in the modern league too much these days. Only 29 combined free-throw attempts. Um, you know, like very different from here's how the, you know. Yeah. The Nasus played five and a half minutes and only had one foul. <laughs> that's how you know they let him play. Uh, that's a uh, he is your uh, Kendrick Perkins, uh, that the Cavs had a couple years ago. Your pal, your foul. I remember at one point during uh, Perk's uh, short lived Cavs run, he was averaging around nine fouls per 36. <laughs> did, did I ever tell you my Perk story from that run? No. They sent him down, to, or maybe this was after, when he was with the charge. Like, I don't think he was assigned. He might have just been there. He's just, like, floating around. He wasn't playing this game. And they had, uh, I think it was Caleb Swanigan, who, rest in peace to, to being oh, Swanigan. Yeah. Very God, unfortunate. He passed away. That's yeah, horrible. I, it is. But so he was posting up, and I think Perk had kind of taken a mentorship role on with him. And he's, and I, unbeknownst to me, so I, I cover the team. I'm sitting at the media table, and Swanigan's posting up. And Perk had went to get popcorn and he's directly behind me during this post-up and he like just screamed some word of encouragement. And I like shot, like I didn't shoot up out of my seat, but I was like startled. I turned around, I was like, what is going on? And literally two feet away from me, it's big Perk, just like, you know, amped holding popcorn while going back to the bench, just amped about this post-up on the charge. So I will always remember Cavs-ish, Cavs slash charge-ish Kendrick Perkins. Oh yeah. What, what an era. For for yeah. our boy Perk, um, uh, last last note on the game, uh, uh, the play where AJ Green uh, got chested up by Sam Merrill, oh, that yeah. was a basketball Spider Man meme if I've ever seen yeah. one, buddy. 
Well, I've noticed every time you get the two white guys, the two shooters, like they go at each other so hard. Oh yeah, there's nothing like it. It's, I mean, Dante there's some peacocking. There's some peacocking going on there. Dante versus Tyler Hero in the playoffs, the year the Bucks won it all. That was like they they wanted, or and Duncan Robinson. I mean, the Heat have a, like they. It's like it's some of the most intense basketball you will see at the NBA level. So yeah, I that was a fun that was a fun back and forth. You know, the funny thing is, I was tracking all night because we talked before the game. And you're like, Merrill's shooting 19 threes per 100 possessions or something. And I was like, okay, let's see how well the Bucks do. I'm sure they're going to try to run them off the line. And the funny thing is they're down like 40. I'm like, oh, they, they, at least they're not giving Merrill too many looks. That's one thing I was looking for. And I guess, you know, silver lining, I guess. It, there's something. He's only made two, I think. Yeah, he, he still got up six. And there are yeah, a lot of clean that's ones. All. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously been awesome. I do want to quickly say uh, for those that have, you know, uh, much like myself, I've really enjoyed the fact that the Cavs are launching away from three. They only took 28 threes in this game and scored 135 points. I just think it's important to kind of remind folks how many different avenues there are to really successful offensive nights. Like, obviously, them shooting very, very well on the 28 threes they took. They made 12 of them uh, helps. But, you know, like you can kill teams at the rim. You can kill teams from three. Like, I, 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 I just think it's worth noting that like this this Cavs team isn't becoming that one trick pony like if if the Cavs are scoring on her like I, I think some people in the Cavs fandom are getting a little uh too obsessed with like hitting certain number benchmarks and like I just know that when the team is fully healthy if they if they score 135 I would still have people in my mentions talking about how many threes they took like just note even when they're playing five out or four out like they like they were tonight like they still only took 28 threes because like different parts of the floor were hyper available to them <laughs> as you as you are well aware at this point well, and i think like one of the plays that is emblematic of that is and i think the bucks do have an emphasis they're not always good at it and they lost yang a couple times in his insane first half heater with a, a messed up switch and then they went to their zone and bobby portis just didn't go pick him up. I think he was too worried about um, rebounding, which the Bucks have struggled with that sometimes too. But like Merrill's getting run off the line at the top of the key, and he probably could have shot it. Like he had enough space for him that he could have shot it, and he whips a two-handed pass. I think it was to Tristan Thompson, who finished like right at the rim yep. easily. And it was like, yeah, that's the better shot. Like that's a really nice – I think Merrill had five assists. So he was getting run off the line to a little bit. I mean, again, he still got up six threes. But for him, he was getting run off the line some and then immediately making a nice play. Um, so, yeah, I certainly think when you can get to the rim, that's even better. I mean, watching Giannis all these years – Trust me, like that's uh, if if nobody can stop you from getting to the rim, it's hard to lose too many games. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And like you know, like this offense can 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 find different ways to support each other. You know, like you don't need Sam Merrill to to be taking ten threes. Like he can find ways to support the team by making that pass. Ty, let's take it a little wider here, um, because the Bucks have been a weird team this year, man. Uh, they are, you know, they're second in the conference. Uh, they are, you know, they're quite good, uh, writ large over over the course of the season. Plus three point nine nine point differential, fifteen games over five hundred, and yet been a weird vibes year. And yeah, if anyone is experienced with good teams with weird vibes, I, I think it's the Cleveland Cavaliers fans from you know years past. Like we're no stranger to this. It you know, and certainly. You know, you look at that 2016, plenty of drama team. They had plenty of drama uh, all the way through and plenty of plenty of uh, nits to be picked. Um, but 
what is you know to start wide what are the vibes on this team like what is, what is your read on them do they matter is this just growing pains or are there some structural things that really need to be worked on i think the vibes are not at a critical level um i actually think they've fought through it pretty admirably and i think you see these moments where like an old team if they were really over it i think they they would you would see more and you know this is not a good game to talk about this but like a total losing of the rope which they they did tonight they just got killed but to me it happens, wasn't happens to everyone yeah, it it does and i think you know most of the time they've had a game like this they had a bad run to start the month of january where i think really over they didn't drop for the first four games they went two and two but they got blown out in the two losses after that they had been consistently pretty good most of the time until a bad start to a, a, a bad run to start the year it was, I think it was like seven of eight games on the road. So I think that contributes to it as well. But like, I I haven't seen horrible vibes and I've seen pretty good effort. Like they go down huge to Utah, who Utah might just be good, by the way. At the time, we're yeah. like, oh my God, they're losing to Utah has now beat everyone. But in the second half, they like, they fight back and it's like a single digit game with five minutes left or something. Because Chris Livingston, the 59th pick in the draft, comes and gives a bunch of effort and fights through some screens and they go on a little run. And I think Houston, they made a similar, like, you know, they were down too much. They made the comeback, but they couldn't complete it. Uh, they beat the Spurs in a really close, really fun Giannis Wemby game. That was that then, was the, my favorite game of the year so far. That was an awesome game. Um, but then, like, they, they, you know, beat the pants off of Boston, who was on the second night of a back-to-back, and we'll tell you no team has ever endured that before. And then they beat the Warriors and the Kings in a back-to-back where the Kings game was closer than it should be, but Dame had his first walk-off as a buck. So it's kind of worth it to go to overtime. So I, I feel like the vibes are okay. I really – I think they just have one clear issue – and it's just a lack of perimeter defensive talent on the roster. And I think if they, and I think they will, but I think when they fix that issue and find the right guard to slot in there, everything will just look so much better because it's one of those things where it doesn't sound like it's that important. Like, you know, you scrape it by whatever. And they have, I mean, like you said, they're second in the East. It's not like they've, you know, five games under 500 or something. But I think it makes everything so much easier for everyone else. You know, both adding that player to use on premier threats as well as then slotting down everyone else's responsibilities by a level. And I just think I just think they need it. And credit to Malik Beasley, he's shooting the cover off the ball. He just can't be that guy. And it's, you know, he's tried, he's improved his defense from I think where he was coming in. He just can't be that guy. They need a guy who can do that. I don't think that's on the roster right now. Crowder's played well. I think they just need a guard to do it. And I'm sure knowing John Horst, they will be uncovering every stone looking for one. Yeah, I mean and Honestly, like, what's the cupboard looking like? You know, it, it is tough when you go trade for Dame Lillard to be like, yeah. all right, let's go update, upgrade the roster with supplementary pieces. Are you of the opinion these have to be like high level role players that you really trust, you know, uh, or like, like, how do you what, what's the road to improving that? Because I agree with you on on this front. Like, it's really hard to play drop if you can't stay connected to the back hip. It turns and, out most of the schemes yeah. don't work if yeah. if you don't well, have that first if you can't part. Guard. <laughs> That's what the Bucks have learned. Griffin, you know, for his faults, and there are certainly some. I think late game management is one of the the worst, and he struggled at when to foul up three and those sorts of things. But I think kind of we've seen that process evolve, and hopefully we'll get better by the end of the year. You know, they, they'll throw out like three, four different coverages in game, and it's like teams figure them out. Their zone has maybe been their best, and. You know, you just can't run zone the whole game. It just certainly not against the, the Cavs team, mostly down all their actual ball handlers and yeah. and 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 
playing exclusively guys who can shoot the cover off the ball. Yeah, yeah, and then losing Niang, who was nine for nine at the time. So, um, yeah, I think the cupboard is they have two promising young players, and I, w- I won't include Livingston because we've seen him in the NBA floor for like five minutes. I, I yeah. just don't imagine there's there's too much value there right now, even though he looks he's been enticing enough. Uh, Andre Jackson Jr., the rookie, 36th pick out of UConn, who is just like he doesn't look at the rim enough, even though he's shooting pretty well from three and he's a hyper athlete. He actually, one of the you know few bright moments from the game was he finished a layup through a contest. And it's not that he wasn't finishing them. It's that he just didn't take them. And we were going crazy because like the, someone like he'll be out there with Giannis and Dame and someone passes him the ball and he's like got a lane to the rim and he's like eight feet away and he just swings it right back out. It's like, that's a good pass. He's a great passer. Just dunk. It's like, just dunk. That's all you have to do. Just go to the rim and dunk. Hasn't done it enough. Yeah, Marjan I mean, this is, that. I mean, that's that's no no strange uh, news to Cavs fans who have been you know imploring Dean Wade and Isaac Okoro yeah. to to be aggressive on offense. And in this game, they were. You know, those record yeah, scratches. Were. You know, the league is just too hard to record scratch on, yeah. on, on offense at, at this point. Like when you have an advantage, you have to be able to press it. Yeah, well, especially for a Bucks team that needs to rely on offense. So every time they do gum up offensively, they really end up paying for it. I mean, they 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 get killed when they can't score for four minutes, and then the other team. I mean, we all know how the game like yeah, when you're getting started. stops. <laughs> yeah, it is exactly when you when you get stops, the ball goes in easier on the other end, and and vice versa. So I think you know they they feed in their own bad play. But Andre Jackson Jr., Marjan Bochamp, year two, pretty promising again perimeter wing player they're both shooting the ball well which i think is probably beneficial and then the bucks somehow through the dame trade with portland kept portland's own second round pick this coming season which is going to be a top 35 top 36 at worst pick in the draft so that's actually a decent draft asset they have to spare their send and they also have one of their own future seconds so they won't be you know high price shopping by any means i would imagine someone like an alex caruso is out of budget so looking more of like chris dunn Matisse Tybel, if he's going to be available right now, I mean Bruce Brown is kind of floating out there. It's just a little intriguing. The Bucks would have to, you know, send Pat Condon and Bobby Portis, I think, to make the salary work. So that's a big cost. Two guys who were very important in your championship run. Two guys who have had up and down seasons. Bobby Portis was good tonight. Pat actually had one of his nicer games of the year, kind of obscured by which you know, is not general. good because he had eight points on <laughs> three of four shooting. Yeah. I mean, that's a Pat Connaughton nice game. He blocked Sam Merrill, which I was like, I that did not have that on my bingo card whatsoever. Um, but eight points for Pat this year on four shots is like a, a revelatory game, unfortunately. It tells you where his season has been at. And again, you know, was such a better fit on a team with Drew than a team with Dame. When, you know, you need guys who shoot. You can't have the record scratches, as you said. But you also need defense more than ever. And I think... You can very much tell this Bucks roster, they built it all to fit around Drew, and then Dame became available, and you don't say no, but then you got a bunch of guys who were more offense-heavy to complement Drew, and then Drew was gone for Dame, who's the opposite player, and I think there just needs to be a rebalancing there. Yeah, and one thing that I think is really important to note is, you know, Dame, this was, you know, very similar to the Cavs going for Mitchell. When you come out of left field to go get someone, like you, it's really hard to immediately pivot and then build the new roster around them right away. Yeah. Like we talked a lot about how the Cavs roster last year was very ill-fitting after the Donovan Mitchell trade. They were playing two, maybe three guys who were really reliable shooters in their whole rotation. 
in, in the modern league, you know, and uh, Kobe Altman gets an offseason to regroup and evaluate what the team needs. And he goes and gets Struess. He goes and gets Niang. Goes and, um, you know, he signs Sam Merrill at the end of last year. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, whoa, the roster looks like it makes a lot more sense. You know, like, I think the pressure of where Dame and Giannis are in their careers, and even Chris, for that matter, yeah. I think it's just is making it so it's kind of harder to give a guy like John Horst that grace period to go find guys like he probably can't wait till next year. Definitely not. He's got to find them now. And it have to, and and the, and you know, this this is where the skill gap is going to come into play. He's going to have to find them, you know, like Andre Jackson jr. It has been a really cool story. He, I don't think you really want him being the only thing you have going for you against Donovan Mitchell. Uh, no, at, at this no. point in, in his career. And that's no slight to, to Jackson, who's had a really fun start to the year. One question I also had about this roster, one lesson that, you know, I, I always talk about when your season ends badly, when both the Cavs seasons and the Bucks seasons ended badly um, last year and, you know, way earlier than uh, anyone was expecting. It's all about what lessons you kind of choose to learn. Like, the Cavs clearly chose to learn that they needed shooting. Like they didn't go get a bunch of rebounders uh, to try to, you know, they didn't try to go get a bunch of big, tough, burly dudes with the exception of Tristan, who has like been a revelation. Um, but I still can't believe he was like a full-time broadcaster. Yep. And just, no, I'm just going to go be a good role player. Again. I don't know if you know this. He's uh, got the highest offensive rebound rate of his career this year, um, which <laughs> it is kind of makes sense. though. think of how much even, even from those peak Cavs years, how much smaller and more spread out the league has gotten. I, yeah. It kind of makes sense that he'd just be like, yeah, actually, it's even just easier beating now. up bench bags. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, with the exception of Tristan, who, like, I don't think even the Cavs front office knew they were getting this out of him when they when they signed him. They clearly leaned into shooting. Um, the Bucks clearly said, we need closers. We cannot have this, this gunky half-court offense so they clearly chose to learn that lesson in pursuing a guy like Dame at the expense of a guy like Holiday. One lesson I don't know if they really chose to to learn was athleticism. It still kind of feels like in the non-Giannis division, which is, which is a pretty big division in fairness, but in the non-Giannis division, sure feels like they're not a, a super springy, fast team. What's your thoughts on that? And is, is that another deficiency on top of the defense. Yeah, I think it definitely is. And I think that's part of the, you know, thinking about potential trades uh, or just roster shakeup is you look at the bench and the veterans coming off the bench and and starting next to Giannis, and there's not much athleticism there. Like I think Bismack Biombo, I believe, is currently cleared waivers and is now a free agent. I Carter, I'm salivating over Bismack Biombo. <laughs> I literally, I've been posting about Bismack Biombo since before they even released him. I was like, yeah, I wonder if they could get the salaries together to trade for. And then they cut him, and I was like, this is my dream. Like, let's make the two for one trade. Bring in Big Biz. He's an athletic big. Like, they just need athletes out there. And I think you can. They've gone to it in the draft. But as just like the timeline, like those guys just aren't ready yet. Yeah, Bochamp has been cool, but it's like, are you really going to play him in a in a third in a conference championship series? I I don't know. It's like his his or Andre Jackson, probably just one of them. You wouldn't trust two so far. Jackson has gotten the the nod. I think you can afford probably one of them off the bench. It's kind of like a 
you know, kind of exploratory, maybe earlier in the series thing, but you, you probably don't want him playing in the second half of a deciding game, right? Just because that's young players. Typically, you just can't do that. So that is, I think, one of their biggest their biggest issues as well. And I think you probably just had to pick to a certain extent which one you wanted to go after. And I think, you know, Dame is Dame and you just have to do that. But it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to go a little more athletic cup coming off the bench as well, even if it's not a player who fits as well offensively. I think one lesson is now that they have opened up the floor so much with the new point guard, you know, you can afford guys who, again, Andre Jackson Jr., Marjan Bochamp, they're shooting a high percentage. They're not really regarded as shooters, though. And they've had some really good minutes just because, okay, you're out there with those two guys, you know, cut at the right time. You know, be ready. Play it. Yeah, play when the defense, defense stretches and, out to thirty feet, it's just going to be there's room. Yeah, you're just going to have room to operate, and if you're savvy, you can make do with a lot of that athleticism. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's been an interesting year. Again, they're they're a very very good team. Uh, they are, you know, probably a top four, top five finals contender in the league right now. I don't think I would go any worse than that, uh, despite all these, you know, uh, you know, well established issues. So it's like. You know, it, it a little bit of it is rich people problems. You know, it's an embarrassment yeah. of riches to to be worried about this when you can go so nuclear on offense. Like, the, I think they have an offensive gear that maybe only Denver can can reach. Um, but you know, they do have some weird schematic things and just some weird cultural stuff. They're they are redefining who they are uh, mid you know mid season, and that that is hard to do. So, uh, yeah. I did want to go a little zoom out even further and just talking about the Eastern conference. Uh, we have the Pacers kind of making a reported uh, Pascal Siakam trade today. Kind of looks like they want to be here to stay. Um, and the East is just nuts, man. Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Cavs, New York, Miami, Indiana. And then you even have, you know, pesky Orlando, who is a little banged up right now, but as tough as anyone in the league on the defensive end, big, young, you know, poised to get better year over year. Where do you where do you kind of tear out the Eastern Conference right now, Ty? Like, like because it, it 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 is so there's so much talent at the top right now that it's kind of hard to figure out for me where people should go. It's really difficult. I think was it the off season we did this, uh, yep. or we, like we ranked them for playoffs? Um, oh, the the trade's official. Oh. There it is. Uh, it's on NBA transactions now. The the Raptors had actually waived Christian Coloco, pretty promising, but oh, off wow. injured big man. Yeah, it's a surprising one. That is surprising. He he, he showed some he showed some stuff. I know he's had a lot. Of, I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up bringing him back at some point. Um, but they had to make a roster. Anyway, yeah, roster crunch. It happens. Yeah. It's part of it. You know, they picked up the Kira Lewis to get New Orleans yeah. out of the out of the um out of the tax uh, yeah, out of the tax. But either way, now it's not reported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's real. It happened. Yeah. So actual trade. Yeah. So uh, well, actually, before before you tear out, I do want to hear you, just your thoughts on that trade because it is an interesting one. I love it for Indiana. I've seen a lot of like, oh, this doesn't push. This doesn't move the needle for them. They're not a contender now. Like, what happened to what? When is it bad to just get better? You know, like that's a good thing, and I think. Even be, beyond just like that narrative idea of the trade, and I, I, I've always, I'm always one where just like if you can make your team better and not like insanely mortgage your future, just do it. Like you don't being better a good for a sustained period is oftentimes more valuable in the league than like oh we'll we'll save all our assets and just like 
you know, have 42 wins forever and all of our players will get sick of it and everything else. We play in Indiana. We're not going to sign anyone in outright free agency. We, we all know how it is. You know, we'll get Bruce Brown, but it'll cost us $20 million a year with a with an option. Um, so I love it. I thought two first-round picks this year that are almost certainly not going to be lottery picks and then one future first is like totally fine to bring in Siakam. They're going to pay him a lot. That's fine. I think schematically on the court, you look at how good Tyrese Halliburton is and how teams, you know, will try to trap him and he has to like fight through the trap or, you know, his outlet is like Benedict Matherin or you know, these guys who are good players, but you know, they're not, they're not devastating you four on three. With Siakam, you can't do that. Like if, if Siakam screens for Halliburton and you trap Halliburton, I think Siakam four on three is going to look so rejuvenated with the spacing and the situation he's been in Toronto really since Kawhi left. I mean, they, they were good a couple times, but you know, they haven't had the same kind of team. I think the way they play is going to be good for him. He probably slows them down a little bit, but I think he makes them a much more respectable, consistent team. Now they may be a contender right now. I don't know. I mean, they're four and one against the Bucs. I mean, certainly they've had some success against good teams. They beat the the Celtics in that run too. I, I don't want to exactly define their ceiling right now. I would put them probably in like a puncher's chance tier, but I think they, they their floor raises a lot with this. And I think it gives Halliburton the running mate he clearly needs and deserves based on how he's played this year. Yeah, something we talked a lot about this offseason for the Cavs was like one of the reasons I was so excited about the Struess and Yang edition specifically was like, it was going to give them a context in which they could really evaluate the core four really, really well, you know, like, and, and that's really important. You have to know what you have, you know? Uh, so like playing these crunchy lineups with not enough reliable role playing and spacing, like, was it Evan and Jarrett not being good enough or was it the context? Was it the, was it the matchup? You, you need to, you know, eliminate variables where you can. And like, to me, trading for a guy like Siakam, is now putting you in a context where you can really evaluate like, okay, Halliburton is really, really good. Is he a saw a star or is he a super duper star? You know, because super duper stars are the guys who elevate other stars as well as remain excellent. Even when, you know, their usage goes down a little bit. Um, so I really, really like it in that context. I, I mean, obviously they just had a gaping hole at the four, uh, that Siakam now fills. To your point about the, him slowing them down a little, I agree. But I also think when you're a team like that, they are just such a bombs away three point shooting team, and that's awesome. They're very very good at it. They play so fast. They they generate clean looks doing that. Sometimes it's nice to have someone who can get some nasty buckets and 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 beat people up. You know when when they're when you play a really switchy team like. You want, like, Siakam is a great switch masher um, in a way that, like, a guy like Miles Turner is just never going to be. Yeah. Um, Turner. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, their pick and roll is just going to be so hard to handle. I mean, I've seen people say, you just switch it. You live with that. No, most teams don't have one player who can guard Halliburton one-on-one, much less two, much less two guys who can guard either of them one-on-one. I mean, if if they're ISOing you, you probably live with it to a certain extent. But yeah. I, I think those are two players who it's going to be very hard. Like I said, I think it's like, I don't know, 75, 80% of what the Bucks have with Damon Giannis, which it's like that's a really, really hard action to guard. You And they are such a smart offensive team with everything else they do. It's not like they're just going to spam it like the Bucks don't. But it's a great base to have. The Pacers didn't really have a base, right? Like what's their base plan? Tyrese make magic happen. Ty- Tyrese a, a role player. 
And it's worked. Uh, it's worked yeah, really well. They're but gonna like, be the best offense in history or something, I think. You know, I I think it's important to just remember in those in those kind of conversations that like Siakam is like a true blue power forward. He's not one of these yeah. like l- big six eight threes masquerading as a four. Like, for example, like if you're the Cavs, you really can't switch Karis Levert onto him. You know, if you got if you got a six six, six seven wing guarding a guy like Halliburton and they set that that screen action, you're not gonna be able to switch it. And yeah. when you give Tyrese Halliburton an advantage, he feasts like he yeah. is one of the best with advantage players in the entire NBA right now. So I think it's a really interesting kind of move, because if you look at that East middle class right now, and, we, and we, I think we can get to our tiers here. Yeah, it, it is very, very congested. I think most folks would have had the Pacers on the outside looking in of that middle class. Prior to the trade, you know, is the nice story. They might, you know, if they get a good matchup, they they might be able to knock someone out too. Like, are they just in that group? Uh, so I, I do want to just take it back to Ty. Where where are your tiers in the East right now? And we're talking playoff success tiers. Yeah. I'm not worried about, you know, regular season wins right now. I hate to do it. I kind of think Philly's cracked the top tier. I well, said, I was going to, I I thought you were going to say something way more controversial, which is, would you put Boston in their own tier right now? Oh, no, I actually wouldn't. I, wouldn't. I don't think I, I think would they either. Look great. I, they look great, but I think they're still – you know what's funny is the Bucks defend them better than maybe any other team. They and are – just – they'll the, beat themselves. I mean, they, they'll, they'll get suckered into the same bad shots. And they make them a lot, but the shot look is just not good enough. And I think maybe Porzingis will be able to do enough, but I think those guys are a little bit set in their ways. And there's almost a little bit of like diminishing returns on having – it sounds stupid, but having like so much talent on ball, it's like you're not using a lot of it a lot of the time. Um, they're really good. I think they're they you have very to good. Them first in their tier uh, so far, but I wouldn't put them in their own tier. I would say, God, I'm gonna hate. I hate doing this. I, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and I'm still gonna throw in Miami. And I hate in tier one. It. Yeah, that's interesting. How can I not? How many times have they won the East in the last yeah, five years? And they're like dead. I have to. It's fair. I, I think that's a fair precedential thing. And like, I think with Jimmy Miami clocked in for the season yesterday and had like 30 points or something. He didn't care before this. Like I, I knew too much to have any, any joy when they looked like they sucked again. I, I know too much now. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where it's just never going to fully align. But like, also I was doing some, uh, some, some pity partying about a week ago and looked at, you know, how many games each team's top three in the East had appeared in. And yeah. the Cavs, their their top three of uh, you know Garland, Mitchell, and Mobley have only appeared in twelve games so far this Oof. this season. Uh, yeah. The Heat's top three have appeared in eight. Yeah. <laughs> um. So like you know they're they're banged up again. They're they're never you know fully whole, and they're just surviving seven games over five hundred with a plus point six point differential. So I think that's fair. Let's give me your tier two. Uh, Cleveland, and I think they're like they're probably the closest at at breaking through. Um, it's it's close to the standings. I'd say probably Cleveland, New York, Indy, and stop it there. Yeah, it. I would you have had Indy in that tier prior to this trade? Because I don't think I would have, and I think I, I would probably not. would. I probably would have before. It's probably biased because they played so well against the Bucks. But I look at Halliburton himself, and I, I see as good a best player as anyone else in the tier. That, so that goes go, a long way. 
Yeah, so I, I put that, and I don't think anyone below them, I, I would say that about it. Is all. that so, the order you would put in it, that tier in? Would you put Cavs above the Knicks, despite the fact that the Knicks, you know, kind of oh, embarrassed yeah. the Cavs? I, I, and... I didn't do this before. I Maybe I would put Knicks first, just now post-OG trade. I didn't love what I saw from them, but I do think that's like a really nice trade to just speed up their timeline a bit. They're playing and, really good basketball right now, and too. Yeah, they, they're flourishing right away after it, too, which, you know, I haven't dug into like who they're exactly playing. You never really know. But good basketball is good basketball. I mean, they are playing as well as anyone in the East right now in like the last 10 games. So uh, I think it's close. I mean, I like you say, the Cavs just make so much more sense now. And I think what they've done, you know, with the opposite of what the Knicks did, the Knicks added a great player. The Cavs lost all their great players. and They just continue to win games. I think at a certain point, like whether it's the talent of the group or like the resiliency of the group, its of course, it's some mixture of both, but seeing that has to mean something too, right? And that's the kind of thing where people say regular season doesn't matter. This is a big time, a big time statement from the Cavs. So not just like go 500, but to go on a winning streak and like move up to the top four without so many of their key players recently. That's like a big time thing. That means a lot to me. Like, I think that's a really important thing to see from Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, right when the day that both Darius and Evan were announced to be out within two hours, I I tweeted something to the the tune of this is going to be a test for the culture that they say they've been building. Yeah. You know, like my biggest pet peeve in NBA coverage is when people talk about culture where, you know, someone parachutes into a team that happens to be overperforming expectations for two weeks. They write a glowing piece about their culture and how together they are. And then the second there's a problem, Oh, I guess the culture is gone because they're yeah. not good anymore. Um, you know, so like the fact that the Cavs are kind of proving like, you know, like they, this has been a team that's kind of built, been building around good dudes that love basketball and are, you know, are, are, you know, actually care about each other and about winning. And, you know, the fact that they've come and, you know, won, you know, six games in a row now um, and and have only lost three games since those guys uh, both went out officially. Evan was out a few games prior to that. But since, since the Darius injury, they've only lost three games. I mean, that is resilience. That is culture. That is a buy-in. Player development. Yeah. And, yeah How about Af- Craig Porter Jr. just stepping in? Mer- I mean, Merrill's... You know, older than everyone thinks, given how little he's played, but yeah, a good find who's played really well for them. I mean, it's it's wins on a lot of levels. It's really impressive stuff. I wanted to get to that at some point, so I'm glad we got to cover it here. But yeah, I think them and the Knicks, I mean, it would be kind of poetic if they were the four or five again. I think it would be a, a, a different series. I think it would be a really good series, probably better than the last one. And then well, again, I hope maybe, so, because the last one yeah. sucked. <laughs> well, hey, you and me both. I see oh, the heater above the play now, so that's that's good news for the Bucks. Uh, but Indy's in there. That's the new Bucks boogeyman, I guess. Um, but then, it, like, it's so close. I, I cannot believe Ty. I cannot believe I am standings watching in January. <laughs> well, I mean, that's but like that's your whole point, though, right? Like, it's a pretty loaded East. I mean, Boston has four games on the Bucks, so they they have a nice cushion. But then there's four games that separate six and two. So it's just there's just a lot of talented teams. I mean, Orlando. I'd probably I'm just gonna put them in their own tier. Of like nobody wants to play them, but they're not going to beat anyone in a series. But like that's a good team, and they're eighth, and they're like pretty solidly eighth, I think, in standings and in talent. Everything below them is just I don't care. Your team doesn't inspire me. It's meaningless to me. You're going to get destroyed. But Orlando, they're fun. Yeah, yeah, it it, it is a cool conference, man. Because all these teams 
are, you know, it, it in some ways it kind of feels like the conference when I was a kid, like there was always one or two really good teams, but the middle class felt a lot stronger. You know, you go back to the, the Cavs, you know, four straight title title runs and it was really a one team conference or, or, you know, a one and a half team conference. And I just don't think that India or Boston. And that like, was about it. Like as good as Boston, Milwaukee are, uh, would, and I would, keep them in their own tier still just from a talent perspective. I should have. Yeah. Um, I, as good as they are, I do think anyone in the three through seven could have a, have a good week and a half yeah. and, 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 and knock them off, you know, like not, I wouldn't bet it. I don't think the lines would say that, but like, you know, basketball was seven game series. Like sometimes it can be a fait accompli that, you know, the better team's just going to win. I just don't think that's as much the case this year in the conference. It, even compared to even compared to you know what's going on out west where you know it's just the league's just really yeah. good i i think that's every time i go like oh the east is actually really and then i go look at the west and the west is, it's like, oh my west God. is just as nuts <laughs> yeah the uh i will say this for like the transaction nerds which of which i am one when they inevitably expand which clearly they can do because there's just talent everywhere except for the four teams who have decided they have nothing to play for uh it's going to be like the most hype event on nerd basketball twitter ever i think it is going to happen we know it's going to happen eventually but like i think you look at the league it's like yeah i probably could i mean these teams are all loaded and i agree i mean like like, it doesn't remind me of i wasn't alive but like the 80s the 80s bucks are like kind of a great forgotten team because they were really good with marcus johnson sydney moncrief terry cummings later on but like uh they ran into larry bird and the celtics and I think Dr. J and the Sixers, and they could just never get over those two. I think there's a couple other series in there, but it was like the like it's it reminds me of that where it's like okay, Bird's probably going to get the best of the conference most years, but there's like so like it means something to win a second round this year, and maybe even a first round. But certainly, if you beat a team in the second round, you go to the conference finals. That's a huge accomplishment, I'd say, for any of these teams. I mean, Boston and Milwaukee, of course, would they just have different pressure it. and different timelines. Yeah, but like. That would be a that would be an outside noise type of thing that would denigrate that accomplishment. Getting there, you know, if, if you're it's not if you, gonna be easy. Yeah, it's not gonna be easy. And um, you know, it'll be an interesting styles make make fights. I I'll I you mentioning a potential Cavs Knicks rematch both got me excited and filled with dread because <laughs> OG Ananobi, I think, guards Donovan better than anyone in the entire NBA. That's such a nice pickup for them. Uh, That's the yeah. thing, too. They're all getting better. Like, I thought the Knicks were already pretty good, maybe a little uninspiring, but it's like, oh, just throw in OG Ananobi. Yeah, that's pretty much like best case RJ Barrett. They just made that happen. And that's, uh, that's a hell of a team. Yeah, it, it's going to be a really, really fun. Uh, end of year and uh, i'm i'm really excited uh that next week we're even going to get more more bucks basketball hopefully hopefully we get to maybe you see a little darius garland back maybe maybe we'll see uh well i would expect to see Giannis back yeah uh, for the other yeah. two games i don't think that that that's not supposed to be a long-term injury correct no they said day-to-day his shoulder bothered him he kind of got it wrenched a couple games ago in a hard um you know battle in the in the pain or a drive so you'd kind of saw him nursing it and i'm guessing he just continued to feel it and decided to get five days off or whatever he gets now i think he'll be back for the next game against the pistons but they do have two against the pistons and one of them's a day game so really anything could happen yeah, well, uh, certainly hope to see him back. I mean, as as nice it is as it is to get to play them without him, uh, you know, the Cavs are thinking much bigger picture, and you know they want to yeah. test themselves against the best teams. And 
Uh, the Bucks are certainly not their best selves without Giannis. Uh, but you were your best self on this podcast uh, tonight, Ty. Thank you very much for staying up late. Uh, go ahead and plug whatever it is you have to plug, my friend. Real simple and easy. GSPN.info has my socials, our Bucks podcast. We also do other Wisconsin sports shows covering the Brewers and Packers. Who? Oh, by the way, I, I am so upset about that Packers-Cowboys game. I am oh, I hurt at the core. The, you knew the, it was coming, though, right? The Packers, ha- I, I'm going to start, when I see a green jersey uh, on a football field, I think I'm just going to start shuddering. They've been torturing <laughs> me for the last decade now. Well, I mean, imagine what it's like to be in the NFC North. And uh, now everyone's agreed, ugh. like, oh, they, they actually did it again. And they did. And it, it doesn't uh, make any sense. Part of me, part of me, here's my, my hottest take. Everyone should just sit for at least two years. Because you look at all three of those quarterbacks and they sat. And I'm not saying they wouldn't have been, you know, great if they played early. I think it matters more than people say. I think we've seen guys get their careers ruined by having to play too early. We don't have to do this combo here. We're, you're wrapping up. GSPN.info has all the links. You can check out my show for more, hopefully more positive Bucks stuff going forward and certainly more coverage of Bucks Cavs as we got plenty of games coming up. And uh, I think hopefully a better just overall game than we got tonight uh, would be good for both of those. I think that I think that would be for the best too, or we're not going to have much more to talk about <laughs> on our respective pods. Ty, it's always such a lo- lovely time talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And if you are listening to the Chase Down Pod, please be sure to hit that subscribe button. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help us cook those books. Exploit that faulty algorithm. If you're watching on YouTube. Please make sure you are hitting a subscribe button. Uh, make sure you're liking all our videos. Make sure you're uh, you're sharing those to your friends. Obviously, we want to keep growing that. Thank you so much for uh, for consuming the Chase Down Pod, whether you're listening or you're watching. Uh, Justin, enjoy Mexico, and as always, go Cavs. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.